We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, Smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands, hands, hands. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by the one and only, the great Michael J. Focci. Focci, another Pacers victory, another exciting day to talk about this Pacers basketball team. You use the word great. That's what I'll say. A great win. Now, look, I get it. The Sixers are without a few guys. No Embiid, no Simmons. I don't care. Pacers have been without guys all year. This was a game you had to have. And, Alex, it was one of the most fun, relaxing games of the year. Once the Pacers got that lead, their first lead, it never let up. And they were up by as much as 20. They closed it out 118 to 113. Yeah, it was a little bit nerve-wracking there for me watching it back. I knew we won the game, so I wasn't super nervous. But – I did laugh because it was in the second quarter. Quinn Buckner said, wow, this is a great half. You've got 60 points. They've only got 40. And then by the end of that half, it was 70 to 60. So I was like, man, talk about the Quinn curse right there. But with that being said, Foch, I mean, it was just a fantastic performance from really all, all five starters, plus Justin Holiday, TJ McConnell, Keelan Martin. I mean, those eight players really stepped up and played big. I thought Torrey Craig, although he wasn't very efficient offensively, actually had zero shots last night. He did a good job defensively, but he wasn't, you know, in there super long, only 11 minutes. But overall, watching this game back, it it felt like the first half was the Justin Holiday show versus the Tobias Harris show. And then Demonte Sabonis got off to a really hot start. So just a great way to see this team get back in there and prove 
hey, you know, we're a good team. We just got to get ourselves healthy and get acclimated to this new system. I feel like this is exactly what Pritchard in the front office envisioned when they mentioned about having, you know, five or six guys that can go out there and produce instead of just, you know, having one star beast. Obviously, that's not what the Pacers have, but, you know, you mentioned it. I mean, Justin Holiday, just unbelievable in this game. 27 points, 9 of 11 shooting. You know, it, there were so many six, – six players scoring double figures. Um, luckily, Chris Duarte avoids an injury, so he would have been in double figures as well. It's great to see him back. But in the first half, I mean, it was unbelievable. Sabonis was 7 of 7. Miles was, was I think, like 7 of 9 or something close to it. Um, the Pacers were shooting 67% in the first half. I mean, it had a little bit of everything. But in the end, I, I mean, the Pacers put together, I thought, one of their much better offensive games. I mean, just to talk about the first half, at one point, Pacers had 20 assists on their first 22 made shots. Yeah. That is like unbelievable Unreal. basketball <laughs> right there. They finished 33 assists on 47 made shots. So just amazing stuff. I mean, there's, so, once again, so many different things you could cover in this game. You could say, hey, what about Malcolm Brogdon's first triple-double as a Pacer? You could do that. Or what about the play of Miles Turner over here? 20 points, six blocks. I mean, Sabonis, we mentioned, an amazing first half. Quiets off in the second half. I know he didn't score in the third quarter, but it's nice to know that his teammates had his back. They stepped up. I mean, whether it was Justin Holiday, Keelan Martin down the stretch. I mean, Alex, we almost even have to give him his own segment on this episode. You know, we, we might not, but he deserves a tip of the hat. The way he's been closing out games lately, it's been phenomenal. And we haven't even mentioned TJ McConnell. I mean, across the board, the team has just been producing. I don't know what it was. I think, to tell you the truth, that loss to the Nuggets, that meltdown, I think woke this team up and they needed it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly it was. I, I think a little bit of that is probably true. I also think that the Miles Turner getting into a Rudy Gobert, I think, so. I think that played a factor as well. But you talked about it, TJ McConnell. I mean, the guy only had eight points, but he had six baskets or six points, excuse me, you know, back to back to back. To, to basically just say, hey, Philadelphia, good try coming back, but we're not going to give this game back to you. We've been fighting too hard too long. And so these games can be kind of a trap game. You get one game at home before you go back on the road for another three games. So we knew this stretch was going to be difficult. We knew that Philadelphia had some really key guys out, specifically Joel Embiid did not play this game. It feels like Embiid misses a lot of games against the Pacers. But with that being said, I thought that we saw a nice game really from – like I said, all those seven players, eight players that I mentioned earlier. You know, you talk about Sabonis, didn't have the greatest second half, but if you look at his statistics, only had one turnover, which was a huge improvement from what we've seen over the last couple of games where it seems like his turnover rate is a little bit higher. Got back to that 18, 12, and 5 statistic that we're used to. And if you watch all those McConnell-made baskets that he had, were all off of Domas setting those little back screens to get him a little bit of space and to give him that separation from Drummond. So I thought that that was just, you know, we talk so much about the statistics that we see on the box score, but there were so many little things that Domas did and defensively had a really tough night trying to guard Tobias Harris. You know, this is part of the reason we've talked about why we want to split the bigs up just because defensively it can be a problem. You know, last night it didn't matter too, too much because Harris got his, nobody else really went off. But at the end of the day, Fachi, I just think great team win, you know, Turner with 20 points, six, six blocks, like you said, uh, two steals as well. I mean, the guy only had two rebounds, but he was impacting the game in different ways. Brogdon, first triple-double. He was fantastic. Karis LeVert, 
came back from the back injury, only had to play 25 minutes. But I think the most important thing to me, just looking at these statistics and the field goals made versus field goal misses, Malcolm Brogdon and TJ McConnell were the only two players to shoot below 50% in last night's game. Yeah, I mean, across the board, the team, the Pacers overall shot 57.3% from the field. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, you can't ask for anything higher than that. They shot 50% from three, 14 of 28. That's their best mark of the season. And just to even show more of a collective effort, I know Justin Holiday stats boosted that, but Alex, the bench had 48 points. I mean, yeah. it, un- unbelievable right there that the bench outscoring the opponent's bench, I think is, is something that I don't know if we've seen yet this year because that bench has really struggled. I know Justin Holiday has kind of been hot and cold this year, but this was a game that he was absolutely sizzling six of eight from three, but touching back on TJ McConnell, how cold was the dish that he served Philly? Because at the end of the game, that is what I talk about of a cold dish of revenge, basket after basket after basket to close them out, even told a fan to sit his ass down. I mean, really just, (laughs) he brought the intensity, nine assists to just two turnovers. He has been phenomenal. And, you know, (laughs) we already mentioned Keelan Martin, but just overall, I want to talk about balance. When we talked about how this team was balanced, Alex, six guys on this team had between 10 to 13 shots. I mean, and if you include McConnell, seven guys had between nine to 13 shots. So no one was just over-dominating the ball. We know Levert has struggled with some shot selection. Five of 10, I mean, come on. It's great. He comes back. I'm sure the back is is acting up. He didn't do too much, and it was great for the Pacers. Yeah, uh, speaking of Levert, there was probably two to three shots there that were in and out, man. I mean, those were all the way down and came right back out. So, you know, it's good to see Levert in this role trying to work his way back. I'm glad that you have enough guys like Duarte, like Justin Aldi, like Torrey Craig, even Brogdon at times being able to play that those wing positions to, to give him a little bit of a break. Same with Keelan Martin. I don't want to leave anybody out. But, yeah, you go back to McConnell, and I don't know if you know this or not, Botch, but the fan that he was talking to is a super fan season ticket holder with the – Philadelphia 76ers, and he actually bought courtside seats to this game one, obviously, for the Philly game, but to come out there and watch TJ. So TJ talked about it a little bit in the post-game press conference, said that they were just, you know, fun banter because they know each other and he's a big supporter of them. So he said it was all love, but I think the fans were really eating into it. I I watched the replay of the game. Like I said, I I went back and rewatched it, and I was laughing. I I said, I don't think there's anything that can make a 60-year-old white male from Indiana stand up more than TJ McConnell hitting the bucket. <laughs> the people going. It, 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 I mean, it is hilarious. Like all these old men are like, yeah, that's the way to play. That's how I played back in my day. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, you know, cause he's hitting the mid range. He's playing tenacious defense and, you know, not forcing any threes. I don't even think he, he took one last night. So it's just, it was really good to see a great game from him as well. Just a, just a great win, great team win. And, I think Quinn did talk about the the Sixers getting back into it. The Pacers retire. And I think you saw that a little bit. They were keeping up that energy for a long stretch at times. But I would say maybe for four to five minutes there, they got a little bit lax at days ago because their bodies were tired at that long road trip. So overall, just a really great game. And, you know, anytime you can beat an Eastern Conference foe that you're going to probably be jockeying for playoff position with, or at least hopefully, uh, great to get that win on them. 
Absolutely. I mean, we don't play Philly now until the end of the year, which is pretty crazy how they have that set up. We play them twice, and basically I think it's uh, game 80 and 81. So we won't see them for quite some time. And, I, and I'm not bothered by that because when they're healthy, they have had our number. But touching on McConnell real quick, Carlisle had a great quote. He said, the way he plays to his mid-range game, the way he plays to kind of the pace and attacking style, he has a style that's very uniquely him. We need to embrace it. He just does some very unusual things on a consistent basis. And that's what I like to hear of let McConnell play his game because we saw for like the first week or so in the season, I feel like he was really trying to adjust to a new system and it, it felt awkward, you know, like it was like lining up much more by the three point line. And we've now seen McConnell, the scorer. We've seen McConnell, the distributor, whatever it is, he's playing great basketball. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a big reason of why the Pacers have been able to, turn things around and Alex don't look now but the boys have won five of seven and the two losses that they have against Portland and Denver they were really in those games and quite frankly should have closed them out yeah that, well we've talked about it this record could easily be eight and six nine and five even ten and four if you really go back and look at some of the close games that we've had but yeah I, I heard that quote by Carlisle and he kind of said something similar to that after the game against the Jazz he said we need T.J. McConnell to be T.J. McConnell you know, we basically can't pigeonhole him into what we want him to be as a point guard in terms of this system. We got to adapt to what he is as a player. And Carlisle said that he's like a one in a million, you know, type of player. Actually, it was great. He compared him to J.J. Barea. I don't know if you heard that or not, but. I didn't, but we all knew that was going to happen at yeah. some point. He said that they're very similar in how they can change a game, but they're both very different players, which we obviously know that because Barea was more of a shooter. But with that being said, a lot of great comments from him. And then Bob Kravitz asked a little bit about McConnell. And uh, there's some other questions. I forget who I'll ask, but they were asking about, you know, how did you adapt differently to this system and all that kind of stuff? And basically, he just said every year at the beginning, I always kind of get a feel for things. And I probably overthink it a little bit too much. But I just I always am a little bit bad at the beginning. And then once I start to feel out the system and the plays and that kind of thing, I get going as the season prolongs. And he said, I've had three coaches in the last three years, so it's a bit it's a bit different. So it was, you know, I'm paraphrasing here exactly from what McConnell said, but it was nice to hear that honesty. And I was laughing because Bob Kravitz asked him, you know, who influenced him, who and you know, who did he like watching growing up? And he said Steve Nash and uh, John Stockton were two point guards that he idolized growing up. Good point guards to watch. And he said that he tries to, you know, use some of their skills for his game. And then he also said. But Vince Carter was also one of my favorite players and wow. uh, didn't really have anything uh, in common there. And then he yeah, brought up exactly. Alan Iverson. <laughs> so, so, yeah, just some really fun stuff. And some I'm sure we'll hear some articles about TJ McConnell soon. But I think that wraps up this game. Pacers get the victory, like we said, 118 to 113 over the Philadelphia 76ers. And now we're on a two-game winning streak, hoping to carry that over into Monday night. So, Fachi, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will introduce our player of the week and do our rookie report. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time for your Setting the Pace Player of the Week. Brought to you by Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food, and uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11. Located at Camp Sertoma. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. Brogdon for three. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are going to bring the Setting the Pace Player of the Week. For this week's Setting the Pace Player of the Week, we are going with TJ McConnell. The listeners have spoken. McConnell was fantastic this week. In three games on the week, he averaged 15 points per game on nearly 65% shooting to go along with 23 assists to just three turnovers, a better than seven to one assist to turnover ratio, which is absolutely ridiculous. He also averaged four rebounds per game. He had two blocks. He had two steals. Alex, what were your thoughts on McConnell this past week? Oh, he was fantastic. I mean, this was, I mean, that West Coast road trip altogether, I thought was some of his best basketball, but we didn't count the first two games of that road trip for this week because they were part of last week. So it was Denver, Utah, and Philly. Absolutely loved how we got the fans involved in the game at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, or Gainbridge Fieldhouse, excuse me. I knew I was going to do that eventually. But, you know, it's just great to see TJ McConnell out there doing what he does best, stealing inbound passes, getting guys involved, getting to the middle of the paint, hitting some floaters, hitting some big-time shots, and talking some smack. That's a TJ McConnell we know. That's TJ McConnell we love. And he's officially back, man. TJ McConnell is back. Back and better than ever. I mean, it was actually kind of hard to pick out his best game on the week. You can go with the one against Utah. 21 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. He does it on 10 of 14 shooting, just one turnover. The man is distributing while protecting the rock, something that a point guard takes beyond seriously. And then we already talked about how unbelievably clutch he was to put Philly away. Uh, Just a great week for McConnell. And Alex, I love the fact that we've had a different player of the week every week because it feels like each week it's someone else's turn to step up this week it was mcconnell's yeah and quite frankly i thought that malcolm brogdon was probably the second closest to winning this i don't know if you felt the same way but coming back from strep throat putting up 25 against the nuggets i know we lost that game but you could tell he was a little bit winded in that first half but came through scored 25 then versus jazz he had 30 and then against the sixers he had a triple double i felt like you know he he played a different role. He did yes. maybe impact the game. Um, I don't want to say he didn't impact it the same way, but he impacted it differently. Uh, it felt like McConnell's were more timely in, in terms of the way he impacted, but Brogdon was just so steady and really just kind of, you know, 
embracing his role on this team. So I really like what I saw from him this week. And then, of course, Keelan Martin was the other one that we put out for nomination. You, you mentioned Miles Turner. I mean, if you want to give Miles Turner some love for this week as a nominee, go ahead and, and, and do that. Well, I mean, Turner, Turner was really good. I mean, he has on the week, he had two games with six blocks. Yeah. I mean, he had six blocks against Denver. He had six blocks um, in this win over Philly. I mean, just throughout, I just feel like we're seeing consistent basketball from Miles Turner on both ends of the court. Like we mentioned, everybody already knows he's brought it defensively game after game. But, I mean, 20 points against Philly, 13 against Utah, 13 against Denver. Um, You know, he had eight rebounds against Denver, nine against Utah, only two against Philly. But, I mean, come on. The guy had 15 blocks on the week. He averaged five per game. That is insane. He already leads the league with, I believe, 3.4 blocks per game. Uh, Just unbelievably accurate on the week. Um, He shot 50% against Denver, 71% against Utah, and 66.7 against Philly. So it's not like he it's taking him – 15 shots to, to get to 20 points. He, he's doing it, you know, eight of 12 shooting. So it just feels like right now he's brought it on a nightly basis, but he had some stiff competition this week for player of the week, because like we mentioned, McConnell Brogdon was great. Keelan Martin was really good on like a lower expectation side of things. Like he was closing games out the last two nights, which was huge and something we could have never expected coming into this year. Yeah, no, I think it was a really good week for Pacers basketball, despite the one loss against Denver. You know, you should have won that game. You didn't, but, hey, maybe it was a wake-up call. So get it back against Utah. Get a nice one against Philly. That was great. But, Fachi, it's time for the Rookie Report. Take it away. The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King. Located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA points. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Duarte, step back three and hits his third. That's a tough three too. Now Duarte, another three. Here's a long three. Duarte got it. Tucker thought he had a lightweight. All right, for this week's setting the pace rookie report, we have only Chris Duarte to highlight due to Isaiah Jackson, you know, still being out, but he's progressing. However, Chris Duarte in three games on the week, he averaged eight points per game. Shooting percentages were down. Duarte only 34% uh, this week. However, he did average 4.3 rebounds per game. He had four assists. He had two steals on the week. Um, tough week for, for Duarte. I think the altitude got to him in Denver, and he was lucky to escape Philly without a serious ankle injury. As lucky he returned. What has been your thoughts on the play of Chris Duarte lately? Yeah, I think Duarte, we're starting to see him and his role get scaled back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Being in with the starters, they do play a little bit slower pace than the bench does. I don't know if he would benefit from going and playing a little bit faster with the with the starting unit, but or with the bench unit, excuse me. But with the starters, I feel like you got Lavert now back in the mix. Brogdon's in the mix. Obviously, Turner's been shooting the ball much better. Sabonis still gets up his shots at a, at a consistent rate, so... Really, Duarte, he's got to he's got to make the most of his shots right now at this point to be a super high prolific scorer like he was early on. You know, scoring 27 in his first game. You know, we're not we haven't really seen that clip yet. We saw around 15 to 18 there for a little bit, 
But now with getting more guys healthy, with him having limited minutes uh, as that kind of role player, starter player, whatever you want to call it, you love what you're seeing from the young kid. He's learning. He's he's growing as a player. He may have just hit a little bit of a rookie wall this past week, but nothing bad. I mean, still impactful in certain ways. So, yeah, I think from what I've seen from Duarte, you know, I'm, I'm just glad he did suffer. Uh, I'm glad he did avoid the injury, not suffer. I'm glad he avoided that injury, and uh, I'm glad he didn't suffer one. So it's, uh, it's a good day for uh, all the Duarte fans because I think that he's only going to get better. Just, just know that his role is going to be different now that you've got a healthy Malcolm and you've got a healthy Karis LeVert. Absolutely. I've said it before. We got spoiled. Uh, Duarte's start to the season was so, like, so intensely hot. I mean, he came out the gates better than any rookie we've really ever seen from the Pacers before. Um, I mean, he was just on fire. So in a game like this, it's not like he was bad by any means. I mean, like we said, he missed some time in the game. He went three of six from the field against Philly. But like I mentioned, we're seeing his shots come down, and that's natural when the amount of injuries the Pacers had faced early on the season. Like you mentioned, finally starting to get healthy, and I'm just happy that he's had a couple close calls. And luckily, he's managed to avoid anything serious. I feel like he's actually left the court like three different times this year. So, hey, Duarte, got to be a tough guy. I'm glad that he keeps coming back. But uh, I hope those uh, minor injuries, um, you know, disappear for a while. Rooting for this kid night in, night out. Still love what I see on a nightly basis. Uh, 110%. So, Faji, let's take um, our last and final break before we get to our long and last segment of the show today, we're going to jump right into that mailbag Monday. So we'll be right back after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. We are back for your favorite segment of the week. Mailbag Monday. Fachi, let's jump right into it. We went to four different places to put questions out today. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. So starting with Reddit, because this is our first time doing Reddit questions, this comes from PacersFan21. How many minutes will Keelan get in the future? Which rotation player does he steal those minutes from? Uh, hey, so on, on the past week, Keelan's played between 19 to 25 minutes, um, which is great, more than anyone expected. Um, moving forward, uh, I would like to see him at least play hopefully 12 to 15 minutes per game. I, I think the minutes are going to come at the expense of Jeremy Lamb. We finally saw Jeremy Lamb receive a did-not-play-coach's uh, decision. His minutes have been dwindling down. So I'd say maybe 12 to 15 minutes per game for Keelan Martin at the expense of Jeremy Lamb. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I think saying he's going to steal Lamb's minutes, uh, we already saw that he took him last night. So I don't really mm-hmm. know if it's stealing. Uh, he's already got him. So, uh, you know, that that's an easy one to me. I'll be interested to see how they go about doing things when DJ Warren comes back. If they keep this same nine-man rotation they've been running with here, who is the guy that's on the outside looking in? Because, you know, Chris Duarte will be going to the bench. Highly doubt that he will be coming off the rotation or out of the rotation. So I would say it probably comes down to Torrey Craig or Keelan Martin, whoever's playing better, because, you know, Keelan Martin is a much better offensive player. 
than Tory Craig, but defensively, you know, Craig is in there for a reason to guard those bigger wings. But at the same time, I don't think Keelan Martin's a bad defender. I think he's, you know, still got room to improve, but you know, it might be Keelan just loses his minutes once Warren comes back. But if he doesn't, I would say that the first odd man out out of the nine guys that are playing in the rotation would probably be Tory Craig. Very possible. We've definitely seen uh, Craig's minutes come down a bit, just 11 minutes against Philly, even though he was effective, you know, defensively. But yeah, very possible. All right, let's move on to the next one. Bryce Pat 14 said, what should we do about O'Shea Brissett? Was a key player who started last year with Keelan stepping up. Do we trade O'Shea? There is no trade value for O'Shea at this moment. His contract is is too light. There's there's just nothing you'd be able to get in return unless you made a bigger trade. And right now, I don't see the Pacers doing that. I think right now his, his best role is probably as an insurance option. Yeah, I think O'Shea really, for, for him, he just has to keep putting in that work in practice. I think we kind of talked about this last week on Mailbag Monday. So I don't know if you got to hear that or not. But O'Shea, like you said, Flash, no reason to really trade him right now unless you could package him with something. And really entice him. Definitely a Kevin Pritchard guy. Definitely a, definitely a Nate Bjorken player. That's why he was brought on here last year. Liked what you saw from him. He's on a really cheap contract, so it makes total sense why you keep him. He's got that bigger body that you want in the wing. He can hit the he can hit the three ball at a good rate. You know, not bad at getting to the basket. Just you know, I, I'm kind of surprised that he's not been given more of an opportunity here with Carlisle, but they've been finding things that work and, and clearly O'Shea not playing hasn't been a problem. So I think you just let him ride it out as a young player and hopefully he can learn from some of the stuff he's got uh, to do in practice with these players and with his coach, with his coaching staff. So he can grow from that, but right now, no sense of trading him whatsoever. So any final thoughts on that? Are we ready to move on? Ready to move on. All right. This one comes from just Dan 94. Where would this team be without TJ McConnell? No, seriously, aside from injuries, what is the Pacers' greatest strength and greatest weaknesses as a team? This team would definitely be in trouble without T.J. McConnell. Uh, for greatest strength, I mean, you can make an argument the point guard play between Brogdon and McConnell has been really, really good. You could also make another argument that the Pacers' bigs have been playing really well. I mean, Turner and Sabonis have their highest net rating together. They're uh, coming into the Philly game. They were a plus 7.1 uh, by far, their best uh, you know rating together. So, I mean, it, it, biggest weakness – Definitely uh, defending talented wings. Yeah, that's fair. I would definitely say their greatest strength is their depth. When they're fully healthy, which we know that that's kind of a knock on what type of thing, but yep. even without T.J. Warren, I mean, you saw last night how that depth really, you know, came into play. It helps with tired legs during the long season. It also is great, like you said, Fachi, to have a guy be able to come off the bench and score you 27 points like Justin Holiday. And, and really just you mentioned the shot distribution in terms of field goals attempted. So really cool to see that. And, you know, when it comes to weaknesses, I would just say not having that A-level player to close out games for you because the Pacers have been on a lot of tight ball games, but they've struggled a lot when it comes to the really tight ones to close it out. And not having that go-to guy to rely on really could be, a, a you know, a benefit if they had it. So not having that, I think, hurts them the most. But – you know, defending bigger wings, that's that's a true statement, Fachi. They went out and got Torrey Craig, but if he's only playing 11 minutes and Tobias Harris has 31 points, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, it looked like Tobias was going to go off for 50 at one point, but luckily he slowed down. All right, two more questions here from Reddit. Uh, this one is from Haven't Met Her Before. He said, what do you guys think we will see in Duarte's future in a few years? 
I think he can continue to further develop as a defender. We've already seen some very promising stuff there and further develop as a playmaker. I think the shooting is already there. Yeah, no, I think the shooting's there. I think the defense, the defensive tendencies are there. I think he's a smart basketball player. He doesn't get rattled very easily. Competitor by all get out. So far, seems to be pretty healthy. I mean, he's had a few nicks and dings here, but he's come back from them every time. So, really, I think that his role is probably going to change in, in in the middle of the season, become a role player off the bench once Warren's fully healthy. But, you know, Warren's a free agent, and Karras Lavert is a free agent after next season. So they could be grooming him to kind of bring him into that role. He's done a good job as a starter. I think that there's been some highs and some lows with him, but – Overall, I think he's just been really solid. So in a few years, Fachi, I, I can see him being a full-time starter, probably around 15 to 20 points a game, just depending on how many shot attempts he gets and how he learns the, the, the flow of the game. But I, I mean, I'm really intrigued by what he can bring to the table because he's a good basketball player. This kid simply has it. There's there's no way around it. He's got yeah. something that, that just feels like – he feels like a natural – score like this man is going to be getting buckets for years and years and i'm very excited to know it's going to be in indiana absolutely so let's move on to our last question on reddit this comes from aquarius he said what is the plan for goga right now i would say the plan is just he's an emergency big i mean the way turner and sabonis are playing i can't see them trading one of them by the deadline there there's no way that they would be playing their best ball together and the pacers break it up mid-season so I think Gogo, unfortunately, is the odd man out. Uh, I know he was just battling some sickness. Luckily, it wasn't COVID or anything, but feels like an emergency big when one of them gets in foul trouble. Yeah, they said it was non-COVID related. He's actually traveling with the team. So that's good to hear. I think Gogo, like you said, he is at third string center right now. We've seen moments where they've played him with Domas, with Miles a little bit when the other team has, you know, more than one big out on the floor. They like his rim protection. So Really, he's going to get spot minutes here or there in the rotation, it feels like. But most of the time, he'll be used only when there's foul trouble. We know that this has kind of been a setback for Goga because not giving him the reps like we talked about before with other players, it does hurt the growth of a player. So I like Goga, but at the end of the day, they did pick up his offer for next year. So at least they'll have him through the end of next year unless they trade him. So the plan for Goga, I think, would just be to be insurance, be an insurance policy. So... Let's move on to Instagram where we've got four questions here. First one comes from Elias Penos. He said, can Miles win defensive player of the year? It's definitely possible. No one can tell you that he can't. Uh, right now, I mean, he's always been a great shot blocker, but the rebounding's definitely improved. Um, the Pacers defense, no doubt, is better with Miles on the court um, than without. I mean, basically, look at it. Look at the stat I was able to find. With Miles Turner on the floor, the Pacers have a defensive rating of 102.4, which would be tied for fourth best in the NBA. Without Turner on the floor, that defensive rating balloons to over 115 uh, points per game, which at that, at that point, I mean, they would be dead last in the NBA. So just a great stat uh, showing the value of Turner. I think overall, the team has to start winning them. Yeah, I saw that same stat, and I, I agree with you, Fachi. Miles Miles Turner has been balling out this year defensively. So if anybody doesn't even at least put him on all defense, I'll be completely shocked. And I believe that he has every right to be irate. The only thing that I think will keep him from winning defensive player of the year is if he starts getting uh, uh, injuries like he's gotten over. 
yeah, over the past couple of seasons, it feels like he's always got like a stupid nagging injury that holds him back a little bit. But with the way that he's playing and being so aggressive, I mean, there was another stat I, I saw, I think it was from my Pacers blog, and he put out there basically if you can bind blocks and steals together, which is what they call stocks, Miles Turner doesn't even need to combine, doesn't even need to add his steals to it. He is still number one in that category with just blocks alone. So wow. he's been on fire blocking shots. Some people I've seen tweet about how he's kind of hunting shots. And look, if you're a hunter, what do you do? You hunt them. So I'm okay with that. It really doesn't seem to be impacting us in a negative way. So if you want Miles to go out there and roam the basket and protect it and that kind of way, like that's what that's what he's supposed to do. So if you're mad about him, you know, maybe stat chasing a little bit for his blocks. That's just because you're a hater. So, like, just relax. Miles Turner's been really, really good. And even if you're not the biggest fan of him, I don't really feel like it's fair to criticize him for how good he's been this year because he has taken it up multiple levels, not just another level, another level and another level after that and another level after that. I mean, he is playing with so much more force than I can ever remember. You would have to be blind and deaf to think that Miles hasn't taken his game to the next level because you can see it, you can read it, you can hear it. I mean, it's everywhere everywhere you watch or get your Pacer news from. I mean, Miles is making an imprint on the game, so I love to see it. Absolutely. So this next question comes from Fester35. He said, greetings from New Zealand. Wow, pretty cool that we have someone in New Zealand listening to setting the Pace. So greetings back to you. He said, I like Levert and Warren, but they can't stay healthy. Is there a guy out there that you would like to see us go get who can more consistently fill that role? It all really depends on who's available. I mean, right now I feel like there's not many rumblings out of guys that want out other than like a Ben Simmons. Um, but I just think for right now, you just kind of got to wait and see. I mean, the team's definitely playing better with Warren on the way. So let's see how Warren is when he comes back. Yeah. Did you see that little rumor about Jalen Brown and Ben Simmons conversations? I did not. I, I heard oh, oh, yo, about them potentially being traded for each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would would Boston really want to do that right now? I feel like Jalen Brown's a really good player. Um, locked up under contract. I, I don't know if that's the move. Yeah. I mean, I think right now it, it's really going to be hard to get anything valuable out of Warren only because he's a free agent next year and he's coming off an injury. So you're hoping that maybe he comes back by December at the at the latest, maybe early January. And if he plays well for like a month and you're like, okay, this guy's back to back to TJ Warren from the bubble, then maybe they could trade him while stock's high. But my guess is that's very, very, very unlikely. So the two of them together, I don't know what they could pack, you know, what package you could get together. I mean, it might be able to warrant get you Ben Simmons um, and at least a conversation. I don't know if it does. It's, so this is a really hard question because I just don't know what player really makes the most sense for us for those two guys alone. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that one that might be realistic is maybe CJ McCollum, but at that point, are you giving up too much, right? And Levert and Warren for CJ McCollum, because was CJ McCollum really going to take this team to the next level? No, I don't good, see it. Good player, but what's yeah. the next level winning a first round playoff series and that's it. Like that's not going to be worth potentially, you know, causing a ripple across the team. Yeah. I mean, I think you just kind of ride it out and see what these guys can do. I would be surprised if, Lavert or Warren has moved because of their interest in, well, at least Warren's interest anyway, from what we've heard of staying in Indiana. So good question by him. Fester follows up with one more question. He said, I really miss Edmund Sumner, but Keelan Martin is helping ease the pain 
think he can keep up this good play? Look, I, I miss Edmund Sumner. I love Edmund Sumner. I think he would have been so much fun to watch this year also. Hugh Martin's playing really good, but do I expect him to be in the closing lineup, you know, at the end of games all the time doing what he's doing? No, I, I think he'll probably, you know, cool it down a little bit, but I think he's definitely earned his spot in the rotation for now. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to see him put up these big of numbers, you know, going forward minute-wise all that, but – I do think that he can still be impactful when he's in game. So if you're mm-hmm. wanting to say, can he keep that up? Sure, I think he can keep playing well. I mean, he's a good player. And went to Butler, was a dominant player at Butler University. So that's one of those things. He likes Indianapolis. He loves being here. He works his butt off in practice. And Carlisle had a great quote on that I put on Twitter the other day. So if you haven't checked that out, you can check that out. But basically, Carlisle was just saying he's a fighter. And if there's anybody I want you know, in a fight with me, I want Keelan Martin. So when your coach is saying that about you, I think that's really good to hear because it just goes to show you how scrappy you can be. So let's move on to our last question here on Instagram. This comes from John uh, Lundberg one. He said, can we expect the Pacers to keep playing well? I think we can because Alex, I mean, right now, I mean, if you want to go by the numbers, I mean, the Pacers are two and zero with Levert and Brogdon together. Uh, they're, they're four and two when Levert plays. Uh, the schedule, they've won five of seven. The schedule is getting softer. Pacers had one of the toughest schedules in the NBA right now. Tyler Smith, you know, former member of the show, pointed out they've had the third toughest schedule uh, in the NBA so far. Upcoming, you have teams like New York, who we already beat, and that is uh, the Knicks. Uh, and then we're talking about Detroit, Charlotte, New Orleans. I mean, those are a couple, couple easier games. Nothing's easy in the NBA, but the schedule is lightening up a bit. Yeah, and, and, and playing the Nikos without three starters is an easy game, but we lost that one. So, you never I, know. You know, they got to play up to the level of competition, act like everybody's healthy, and, and go out there and not worry about who's on the floor, but worry about doing what you do best. But, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move over to the Twitter questions. This comes from Aaron M. at Hugh Pacers. He said, looking at the standings and the Wizards uh, Cavaliers playing uh, crazy, is this the most stacked the East has ever been? I see the Pistons and Magic as the only teams that don't have a chance at the playing games. I said it before, the East is stacked this year. I mean, sure, not every team is always going to be in it, but guys, just to shed some light, if the playoffs started today, the Milwaukee Bucks wouldn't even be in the playing game. They, they are currently in the 11th spot at 6-7. and seven. So there is some funky stuff going on right now in the East. Um, I love it because it's just like seems like any night anyone can beat anyone, and we got to wait quite some time for things to shake out because there is no way the Washington Wizards are finishing with the one seed right now. <laughs> you, you never know, Fachi. Don't say never. Uh, but, you know, I, I think what it, what it comes down to, is good roster construction by those two front offices to to they're kind of built similarly to the Pacers by depth. All of them are. I think the drafting of Evan Mobley has been just fantastic for Cleveland. He's been really good. Jared Allen has really stepped up his game. And then Colin Sexton went down with an injury. So you got to wonder how much that impacts Cleveland moving forward. But 
you know, they've got Darius Garland. They've got some, they got Dean Wade, who's been starting a little bit for Lori Markman, who went out with an injury. So they've got themselves a good team. And then, of course, Ricky Rubio. I mentioned that in the preseason. Probably the best backup point guard in the NBA or one of them, right? And he's been playing really well. So I really like what the Cavs have done. And then, of course, we know what Washington did with that monster Russell Westbrook trade. Aaron Holiday is down there. They've just got a really nice team of good role players, and they're all buying into their roles and having – Great success, but I think a lot of it comes down to the coaching staff as well. You know, they they both have new. Well, Bicker staff's not really new to Cleveland, but I know that uh, who is the who's the coach again down there in Washington? Um, Wes Unsell Jr. Wes Unsell Jr. He came from Denver, correct? Uh, yes, he was, so, he's he's been around the league for a while as an assistant, but yeah, recently came over from Denver for sure. Right, I, I was drawing a blank there on who the new coach was, but I know that he was a highly coveted name when it came to talking to different assistant coaches around the league as potential head coaches, and he's done a great job. So I agree. I'm, I'm rambling here. I'm sorry. But, yes, the, the Eastern Conference is really stacked. And even the Orlando Magic, as I don't see them being anything more than, you know, a lottery team, that starting five, there was a stat on StatMuse this week that had, like, the best uh, plus rating yep. of yep. any starting five in the NBA. So they're, they're playing well with their young core. And so – yeah, it's great to see the level of talent spread across the Eastern Conference like this and uh, makes it a lot more fun. Even the paces are six and eight and it's more difficult. It still makes it much more fun to talk about five. And real quick, I mean, the Atlanta Hawks, a team that a lot of people had a lot of faith in coming this year, four and nine right now. Yeah, I mean, bad. the Celtics are sub 500. So there is a lot of really good teams with high expectations that are not producing. So Makes you feel a little bit better about the Pacers being six and eight with the amount of injuries that we've had. So, guys, things are going to be all right. We will get better from here. All right. One more question here from Aaron. He said, what are your thoughts on people, fans who cheer for specific players and hop from team to team if that player does versus fans who follow a team? I can't tell you how many friends I have that are LeBron fans. I mean, it's just like – He's become his own team, you know, and, and that same guy has been a Cavs fan, a Heat fan, a Lakers fan. So I feel like it's mostly kind of like being a LeBron fan. There's there may be a few other players like that, but hey, I, I'm old school. So are you. I've been a Pacer fan for so long. It doesn't matter who's going to be on the team. I used to love Paul George. I have respect for him now, but I was never going to become a Thunder fan or or you know, Clippers fan or anything like that. I just had to find that next player that I could really kind of latch on to. And, you know, while I'm still looking for a favorite player that's currently on the Pacers, I just love the Pacers in general. So I'm more of a team guy rather than a player guy. Yeah, I'm a team guy over a player guy uh, all the time. But it doesn't mean I don't have players that I enjoy. But, you know, it doesn't dictate. Like, I, if we're playing one of my favorite players, like I've always loved Chris Paul watching him play. But when we're playing Chris Paul, I want to be Chris Paul. You know what I'm saying? The Pacers. Exactly. But if if he's playing a game that the Pacers aren't in, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to just go enjoy watching Chris Paul play. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I do enjoy watching play. Steph Curry is another one. He's someone that grew on me a lot because he really got on my nerves, uh, you know, back when they had their big run and him chewing on that stupid mouthpiece and throwing it and, you know, just kind of acting silly sometimes. I was like, man, he's kind of getting on my nerves. I think, I think you get annoyed when someone just – a team constantly keeps winning. It's just kind of let's take down the villain, right? So that's what they kind of played, especially when Durant went there. But you know, just a lot of good, a lot of good players in the league, and I get why people hop, you know, from player to player instead of team to team, uh, or instead of rooting for one team. But I, I've known a lot of LeBron people as well, and uh, it used to annoy me. It's like, okay, you're from Indiana, but you're cheering for the Cavs or you're cheering for the Heat. 
uh, that would just that would just drive me crazy because it's like, why don't you love your home team? Like, where's the pride, right? So that that's where I came from. But at the end of the day, I mean, as older I get, the less I care about this stuff. But in high school, man, I was passionate about the Pacers, and uh, I used to get ticked off. <laughs> When people were like, oh, yeah, he beat the Pacers. I'm like, you're a Pacer. I said, you live in Indiana and you're rooting for the Heat. I said, get out of here. So <laughs> that's just how it was for me, Fachi. But uh, let's move on to our next question. This comes from Samuel Pippo. He said, if Warren comes back and given all uh, other starters are healthy, how will the rotation be then? And, he, and do you expect Karras, after he's consistently starting, be our point leader at the end of the season? I mean, obviously, T.J. Warren comes back. He's in the starting lineup. You know, maybe he comes off the bench for like a game or two, but I don't even think that's the case. I think he's back in the starting lineup. Um, we've seen that Carlisle typically feels like nine, feels like the number of players that he really likes to play. You know, maybe he would expand that to 10. That way you can fit in a guy like Keelan Martin and Torrey Craig on a nightly basis. But, yeah, guys are going to have their their minutes reduced. Uh, will, Car- will Karis LeVert end up being our leading scorer? I don't know. I don't know. He still looks a, a bit rusty or maybe just not the same carriage from before. I do think he'll get it going, but this, this Pacers team is deep. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys like last year, you know, when Turner was only going to average like 12 points per game or 12 and a half, whatever it is, he's better offensively. I mean, he's at 14.6 right now. And it just seems like more of a balanced effort that I wouldn't be surprised if Brogdon leads us in scoring. Yeah, that's a good point, Fachi. So I'll answer this real quick. When it term, comes to the rotation, like I said, it's either going to be Keelan Martin or Torrey Craig that, that's probably out, and that's just going to be a game-by-game decision. I think he might split that up a little bit, like you said, Fachi. And then in terms of point leader, yeah, it could be Brogdon. Um, I'll probably still give Karras a benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, you can't really trust that he's going to be able to stay healthy because he hasn't proven it yet so far, so you have to bank on that like maybe being a factor. So. I'll say Karras still ends up leading the team in scoring at the end of the season, but in terms of averages, not overall points, but averaging-wise, I think he'll end up being that person. Doesn't necessarily mean he's the best player on the team, but I can see him having big games like he did last year once he gets fully healthy. So I will stick. I'll stick with Karras, but you know I think my, Malcolm would definitely be my number two. So let's move on to the next question. This comes from Elijah Worcester. He said, is Jeremy Lamb in a Pacers uniform by January? I don't know. I, I can't give you a straight answer on that because that expiring contract of $10.5 million, losing the spot in the rotation, I mean, th- that could provide an opportunity. So I would say right now it could be a little bit less than – I would say maybe it's like 45, 55 that he's not in a Pacer jersey. Yeah, I would say that he probably is by January. Um, maybe February it's well, different. Okay, so I'd say by the deadline. By the deadline. Yeah is where I feel like he probably – it's not a lock at all. Yeah, I mean, it really just depends on how the Pacers finish out the rest of the rest of 2021. If they have a really good home stretch, they finish out November really well, they're clicking, they probably won't trade him. But if they're, if they're struggling a little bit and they see a potential guy that could be available that could help them in the playoffs, and they're like, okay, we're going to be willing to trade Jeremy Lamb and something or maybe attach a pick, to go get someone that could help us. That's a, that's something I could see them doing, but it really just depends on how they're playing in that, in that moment. So good question there, but I still think he'll be a pacer in January. This one comes from Sam Colbertson. Our next question. He said, miles Turner is growing on me a lot lately. If we were to trade Sabonis or Turner at this point, I think I would keep Turner. 
your thoughts on this and also how many all-stars do we have on this team next year or this season? I mean, one, I hope if, if Brogdon can be consistently, you know, just on the court, I would love for Brogdon to make an all-star game. I feel like his leadership has been great. The Pacers have been much better with Brogdon on the court. Um, I don't know if Sabonis – I don't think Sabonis is a lock for an all-star team this year. No, I, I, no. I think right now, I think his play has has come down a bit while he still had some real good games. I don't think he's being asked as much in years past. Um, then as it relates to, you know, who would we rather trade or that? Look, Turner's thrived under Carlisle. He has ever since they got past the, those two games where he didn't play in the fourth quarter and he had, you know, some foul trouble early on. He's been really, really good. Um, I, I would like to try and make this, this double big lineup work because right now it's working, but if it starts to, you know, and it doesn't work, then you got to make a move. And I just feel like Turner fits more teams needs, uh, than maybe Sabonis does. Yeah, that's a fair point. I I would say this in terms of the Sabonis-Turner thing. The reason we've always talked about Sabonis not being traded and Turner being traded is just based on how the franchise has mentioned Miles and, and trade talks. I mean, they publicly said that. There's also been a lot of rumors about Miles-Turner and trade talks. But I've always just been like, I'd rather have the consistent Sabonis than the inconsistent Miles-Turner. But over the past couple of weeks, we've gotten ourselves – a level of Miles Turner that no one, I don't think anybody knew, existed in Miles Turner. Even if you're the biggest Turner fan, I don't think you thought he could play this well 24-7. Like, he's been really, really good. So if Turner can keep this level of play up, then there's no question. I think a lot of people that have been on the fence on how they feel about it or maybe even lean more Sabonis, they might come to terms and say, hey, I think I'd rather trade Turner at, or uh, Sabonis at this point and keep Turner because with his rim protection, the, the net rating, like you mentioned earlier, uh, worst defense in the NBA without him, fourth best with him. I mean, he is the modern-day NBA but uh, center. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff he does is more flashy than what Domas does. The block shots are flashy. Um, the praise that he gets on social media for, for being defensive player of the year, that's real flashy. The three-point shots that he's hitting, I mean, that's definitely more flashy than watching a guy go down there and make a nice screen assist or setting a nice pick and roll or guarding a guy and being more physical with him out on the perimeter like a Julius Randle. So those things aren't as flashy in terms of what you're, you know, what you're seeing, especially on highlight reels. So, you know, they're both really good, Foch. And uh, you talked about you'd like to see them work together. You know, I, at this point, I'm okay with whichever one they want to trade. If Turner can keep this level of play up, uh, it's only been a couple of weeks. So let's, let that continue to grow and see if he can continue to be this impactful and this effective and this aggressive and that kind of thing. But same with Domas, he's taken a little bit of a step back this season only because they've asked him to play a different role, in my opinion. So it was a little bit of a rough stretch in that third quarter against Philly. They went to him like three or four times, and it's just it's just different. I feel like he actually plays a little bit better with the group in the second unit, moving a little bit faster. So Quite frankly, I, I don't know which route they're going to go. They might try to keep it working uh, if it's if it's being impactful to some degree. But at the same time, uh, you know, we feel like it's inevitable for one of them to be moved. And I think at this point, the way that Carlisle talks about his players, um, it, he's been a little bit more on the heavier side of praise for Turner than Sabonis, but he really hasn't been asked a lot about Sabonis either. So that's kind of where I'm at with all that. I agree. I agree. It's going to be interesting. Hey, I'm, I'm happy seeing both of them thrive, you know, but Leah, like you mentioned, look, if one of them happened to be traded, 
I mean, it's not like many people haven't been calling for it for a few years now. So yeah, see what happens. Yeah. And it's okay to like, be like, okay, well, Turner's playing at a totally different level now. So I'm okay with it. And that's kind of where I'm at because at first I was like, well, I mean, really Turner might go out and get you 20 and 12, one game. And then the next couple of games, he might get you 12 and six. Well, no, it's totally different. He's shooting the ball at a high clip blocking shots, you know, from every direction. So really like what you're seeing from Turner. And, and of course the rebounding, that's, that's the big thing. Obviously only had two rebounds against Philly, but most of the time over the past couple of weeks, he's been really good on the glass. So I like to see that from him, but let's move on. This one, this one comes from uh, tweet rant therapy. Let's say Warren comes back healthy by Christmas and the team as a whole remains healthy. What would the team's biggest need be by the trade deadline? Do you think the Pacers will actually be active? I, I hope that they would be active. I mean, look, if you're getting Warren back and you've done pretty well, then I think at that point, you know, that's where you look to try and unload that Jeremy Lamb contract. And, you know, maybe there is, I don't know, maybe there is Goga attached to it if you think you're going to keep both the bigs, you know, past this season. So I would, I would hope that maybe they can, you know, bring in someone that can, you know, assist on the defensive end of things or, or maybe just another, you know, another scorer off the bench. I don't know exactly what that need will be because, you know, we're talking about a few months from now, but, you know, basically the trade deadline area. But I would just like to see this team, you know, I want to see it. Basically, Warren is the mystery box right now. What are you getting out of him? And when you find out what you're getting, then you're going to know where the rest of the team stands. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that I'd probably still, if there's a big that you can get out there that plays power forward, that's a good defensive player, similar to Torrey Craig in a sense, but maybe it gives you a little more offensively. Or there's a dog that becomes available, somebody like a Marcus Smart, not saying Marcus Smart, but saying someone like him that you feel can be kind of impactful, like a Patrick Beverly, that kind of player. That would be somebody I'd be like, okay, let's add someone to this team to kind of make us a little bit tougher. But it feels like this Pacers team, when they went out and traded for Leandro Barbosa for the playoffs, right? If there's a score like that can become available off the bench, that's maybe more of a ball-dominant guy. I just I just don't know. And like, like I said, you know, you can maybe say, oh, we need to move Jeremy Lamb and, and whatever. But that, to me, is not the most important thing at this point because if Lamb's not even in the rotation, by trading him, one, his value is not going to be as high. And two, if you bring somebody in here that wants to play and you've already got a – core nine, core 10 guys playing, who's the odd man out and doesn't really help you that much. I mean, that's just something to think about. So good question. I really do. I think the Pacers will be active. I think that they'll be looking to be active. I should say not necessarily active, but they'll take phone calls. They'll see who's available. But if there's a veteran that's got some playoff experience, someone like a Danny Green that they talked about, Quinn Buckner brought that up a lot, his championship experience, somebody like that, you might be more enticed to have them on your roster than you know someone like Jeremy Lamb, so uh, that's only that's the only way I could see that happening. Hey, if there was a guy like Danny Green available, I mean that's the exact type of guy that you would love to add to this team. But uh, they ain't growing on trees right now, and there's a reason why <laughs> that man is a winner and uh, continues to win no matter where he goes. <laughs> Absolutely. So our next question comes from DKF. He said, "Can we and should we extend Miles' contract? If so, what will be a fair price?" I mean. We don't, we're not in a rush right now. I mean, Turner's not going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So he has this yeah. year and then next year. So, well, the I extension, think, uh, the extension, of, uh, whatever for him to be extended this year has already passed. So, yeah, he can only be extended next season, similar to TJ Warren when he was, you know, up for, for, up for an extension when they did not pick up that or did not decide to extend TJ Warren. So, that's, uh, can he, he cannot be extended until next season. 
before the season starts. So mm-hmm. that's an important thing to keep a date on. A date on, but sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Just wanted no to clarify that. I believe that deadline was October 18th. Um, that has passed. Um, look, you know, you never want to be a prisoner of the moment. Miles Turner is playing great ball right now, and I think that he will continue it through this year. But I think due to the fact that the deadline has passed, it gives us the luxury to let this year finish out. I mean, and then right there, the Pacers can determine everything. Sounds like Miles wants to be in Indiana. I mean, we would love to have him here for for years and years to come. But this team needs to figure out a few different things first. And, uh, you know, a lot of it it comes down to Warren's health and, you know, evaluating the rest of the team uh, moving forward, like Levert and all that. So everybody can't get paid. But I feel like a guy like Miles Turner, longest tenured, he's got a very good shot if he continues up this play. Yeah, right now I wouldn't extend him next year either. Just kind of see how it plays out. If he if he continues balling out like he has for the rest of this year and they're in the playoffs and he's really, really good in the playoffs, then clearly whenever he's up for an extension, if he'll take one, you do it. But if the Pacers kind of hit a wall or he hits a wall and isn't isn't playing this great over an 82-game season, you have to really weigh your options. And you also have to think, hey, do I want to play pay two centers in the you know, $40, $50 million range again, or do I want to maybe move one of them? So you got to keep that in mind too, depending on which way this team wants to go. But as terms of a fair price, I think anywhere around the 18 to 23 million range is probably fair price for him. Maybe 23 is a little bit too much, but if he is a defensive player of the year candidate. So yeah, so let's, let's move on here to Pacers faithful. He said a week or two ago, a major trade seemed inevitable. How much do you think that has changed with the recent plan energy from the team? I think it has changed. Uh, if the Pacers continue in the one and six start, it was brutal. If that continued, it would have been like some, something's got to change here. But right now, the team has momentum. I mean, like I mentioned, five and two in their last seven. We know that TJ Warren, it appears the end of December, early January. So it feels like help is on the way. And like I said, there's there's things like when Levert, and Brogdon play together, this Pacers team is significantly better. They're 2-0 this year. Hey, let's let it continue. Schedule's only getting easier. Yeah, same thing. It's just like a, a bit of an overreaction at the beginning of the season. It, it always happens. And <laughs> I did it myself, so I'm not alone in this, but I'm just saying that's that's just part of it. Pacers Faithful also said, why are still fans hating on Brogdon? He is a very good player who has taken steps to be a leader in both chemistry and most importantly, wants to be here and has committed to be long-term. So, I I just think fans, they just are so picky with what they want, Vach. But there's been a lot of rumors around Brogdon that maybe rub fans the wrong way. But I think Brogdon looks like a different person. He's playing differently. He's acting differently. I think that this coaching change was the best thing for him. I think flat out 110% respects Rick Carlisle and knows that this man's won championship in the league and that, hey, he, he's in good hands here. Uh, there's more than capable coaching staff. So it, it's they're asking Brogdon to lead them on the court. That's exactly what he's doing. Feels It feels different this year. I, it really does. Um, so I, I hope it is. And I, I think that people need to give Brogdon his respect because, like I've mentioned, this guy is, is a borderline all-star. This year, I really do think that he can make it, just needs to stay healthy. Absolutely. This next question comes from Josh Hinkle. He said, do you think Miles is playing the best ball he's played since joining the team? I will say yes. No doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. So then uh, Ricky Kelly said, what do you think about Keelan Martin's play? Um, I'll just say it's been really fun, really good to see him getting those opportunities and thriving in this role. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Keelan Martin and what he's been doing. 
Big fan. I think he surpassed anyone's expectations. Didn't even know if the guy was going to make the roster. He's closing out games right now. Couldn't even make that up about a week or two ago. (laughs) Absolutely. So Jimmy Johnson here, he said, are all these close losses and blown leads late in games a sign of lack of toughness or a result of the injuries? Also, what is up with Brogdon's turnovers, especially late in these games? Fox, you take it away. Close losses and blown leads. I, I mean, I, I think I don't think it's toughness. I think it's the guys are getting tired and they don't have a true closer. I mean, some teams, you know who your closer is. This team's still trying to figure that out. Um, Brogdon's turnovers. I mean, the guys had some injuries. He's sick. It's like, I think he's a, a little bit rusty at times. But, uh, I mean, 10 assists, just three turnovers. You know, that that's that's not bad at all. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't feel like Brogdon's really been that turnover prone, especially in the fourth quarter. I feel like Brogdon has actually been the best, <laughs> the best version of Brogdon in those fourth quarters for the most part. In terms of losing big leads, look, part of that's just the NBA. There's so many teams that go on runs. Like there's one picture where the, the Bulls outscored the Celtics by like 42 to 17 to close a game or something like that. Like just a crazy run and if teams get hot, like it doesn't matter what you do. They're just hot. So, I mean, it might be a, a bit of uh, injuries. It could be a little bit of the lack of toughness. But I really just think sometimes, you know, when, you, when you're relying on a bunch of B-level players, Foch, and, you know, they don't always hit the big shots, those le- the lead can come down. You know, you don't have that Kevin Durant hit that dagger or that Luke could hit that dagger and stop a run. But you do have a TJ McConnell eight-foot fadeaway jumper. So that's what you can rely on. And they went to that, got three quick baskets to close that lead up and say, we're done. You're not coming back, Philly. So that's probably the most, uh, that's probably the biggest go-to shot this Pacers team has by any player on their team. We talked about it last year, but that's how I feel about that. So let's move on. This comes from Walter Lambert. Do you see the Pacers staying with a much tighter minutes cap for an extended period of time, along with sitting out back-to-backs to protect Levert's back? It's very possible. I mean, we mentioned Carlisle likes, you know, the nine-man rotation. I I do think that they probably should take it a bit easy on Levert. Uh, I did like the idea that they were able to give him some rest. First, I thought it was going to be on just one night of the back-to-back. Ended up sitting out for both. Um, You know, it it helps having him in the lineup. Do whatever you got to do. The team's not in luxury to be sitting out players in a bunch of games. But, you know, you got to protect him when you can. If you get a big lead, take him out. You know, little things like that. Oh, I think I think Carlisle is going to do a great job of managing the minutes. Um, got to have this team ready to be healthy by the playoff time. You can't have him playing a big role in, in tons of minutes and then not being ready to go by playoff time because of the injuries. And they're very aware of the injuries. So they're trying their best to minimize the injuries that could occur. So I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with him sitting Levert in back-to-backs. It really would be beneficial for him. We have yet to see if they will sit him in back-to-backs. So that's something to uh, keep an eye on. But One more question here from Walter. He said, do you think Keelan Martin has now become the player we thought Brissett might be? Is Martin possibly even better than that level? I will say that's too early to tell. It's only been a small sample size. But so far, I think that Keelan Martin is much in much better favor with Rick Carlisle than Brissett. Brissett's a young player. And uh, I think Keelan might be a better defender and a little bit more scrappy out there on on, uh, just on both terms of offense and defense. Yeah, I mean, also, Keelan's been just really efficient from the field. I mean, he's shooting 50% from three on the year, nine of 18. He's shooting nearly 50% from the floor. Uh, he, he's just meshed well with this team. O'Shea, I, I think, outside of that 18-point game against Miami, has unfortunately struggled, and the minutes have been tough to come by. Maybe his leash was a bit too short, 
But for whatever reason now, I mean, we're not really seeing much of him. I think he logged three minutes uh, total last week. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not been looking good for O'Shea, but we are down to our final three questions here. We're going to jump over to our Facebook questions here. Fachi, this one comes from Gavin Lee Miller. He said, when is Miles Turner going to box Rudy Gobert? Ha. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see that, but we could always uh, have our imagination. Either way, Turner did not back down. And Alex, we talked about it. It sent a message to this whole team, and that could be something we look back on on this year and say that's the time where they woke up. Yeah, I don't think Turner wants to get into a boxing fight with Rudy Gobert if Gobert's got a boxing coach at the Jazz game. Uh, just uh, just play basketball and be better at blocking shots than them. That's what I would say. Uh, let's not box, let's block. So moving on, Tyler Watts said, how many All-Stars do you think Indiana will be sending to Cleveland this year for the 2022 All-Star game, Fachi? I hope at least one. Like I mentioned, there's something something about me tells me that, that Malcolm Brogdon could make it this year. I know I've said it a few times. I just think that Stabonis is taking a little bit of a step back, and, and I don't think that Turner is quite All-Star status yet. Levert hasn't been the same as before. You got to hope it's at least one, but come on, guys. You know we've had a scratch and claw just to get one, so I'm not going to rule. I'm not going to say two. Yeah, I'm going to say zero, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but it just feels like this Eastern Conference is so loaded, especially with bigger market teams as well. So, I mean, I could see maybe some coaches giving some love to one of the Pacer players, but it really just depends on where we are standing-wise at that time too. But Chicago's got some really good players. Washington's been playing really well. They're going to get somebody maybe more than one with, than Bradley Beal based on who's playing well for him. So you just never know. Uh, you, you know that you've got just to go down the list and – Look at Brooklyn, they're probably going to have at least two. Boston's going to have some. Atlanta's going to have Trey Young. So just a lot of names to throw out there that are usually guys that make it that will probably make it again. So that's where I'm at with that. And then our last one comes from Quinn Phillips. He said, with Darren Williams and former Colts running back Frank Gore set to box each other, which current Pacers player would you pick to be your boxing champion against other NBA players if you had to put anything of importance on the line? I'd probably maybe say TJ Warren. I mean, we've never seen him scrap, but he he looks pretty tough. Maybe it's because he doesn't show too much emotion. But I can tell you, I am not throwing Sabonis in there. Um, I, I just I just don't. I wouldn't feel good about it. Um, and then I mean, it's like you know, maybe maybe Tory Craig. I don't know. Get, give me Keelan Martin, baby. Hey, you, you never know. My guess, I'll go with TJ Warren. You got Keelan. You know, we'll, we'll have to get down to the bottom of this at some point. Yeah, he said, uh, another good question is, what player on this team do you think has the most fight tenacity in them? I would probably say McConnell, maybe Goga Batadze, because he's a little bit of a hothead sometimes. So uh, he's a very, very competitive player. But I, I think that McConnell, for me, is probably the guy who has the most fight tenacity in him. Goga is probably most likely to get in a fight. Yeah. McConnell is probably least likely to give up. You know, I feel like McConnell would be that guy, like back in high school, if they were running like crazy workouts, he would be the guy that just would not break and wouldn't yeah. give up. So uh, that that's what I'd say there. All right, man. Well, that wraps up Mailbag Monday. So a lot of good questions. Wanted to finish up there with some fun ones there, talking about boxing, just to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. But thank you, everybody, for sending your questions in. We'll be doing that every Monday, so be looking for that post on either Saturday or Sunday. So, Fachi, as we wrap up the show, let the people know where they can find us. At. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. 
And you can find us on TikTok setting the pace. And of course, you guys know about our incredible contest to win a potential City Edition jersey, a setting the pace hoodie, and a Jermaine O'Neal autographed basketball card. But first, leave us a rating and review. Send a screenshot over to alexgoldenNBA at gmail.com. I'll leave a link in the description to my email. So that'll be easier for you just to go ahead and click on that and send it on over. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're excited to see the Pacers extend this winning streak to three games on Monday night, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Oh, we have some smothered chicken on that one! Smothered chicken! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.